Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 78, To Nullify His Noble Death. This week we're discussing series 6, episode 1 of Doctor Who, The Impossible Astronaut, and season 1, episode 10 of Angel, Parting Gifts. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, The Impossible Astronaut, Series 6. We're in another new mm-hmm. new series, a new arc. And, yeah. Uh, and, well, you had some production stuff, so why don't we go ahead and yeah, start that. Yeah, really quick, because we want to get to the good stuff. But um, this is definitely a popular uh, episode. It's number 58 out of 241 on the Doctor Who magazine poll, so comfortably in the top third. Mm-hmm. Um, so well regarded. Um, the There's a UK news website called MediaTel, and they reported that in Britain... At the time, this was the most recorded TV event of all TV event of all time in the UK, presumably. I think that means. Yeah. Um, now, uh, of the um, 8.9 million viewers, 4.1 million of them watched it later by a time shift. So that's 46 percent. So we were talking about in the recap how the overall numbers are kind of going up, but you see how the percentage has shifted to where most of them are getting it later mm-hmm. via download and stream and everything. So I just thought an interesting kind of statistic because, sure. you know, huge, most downloaded event or recorded event of all time, huge numbers, but how, what a large chunk of them are getting it sort of, you know, not live at the time. Yeah. So it might appear to be a dip in ratings, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah, well, and um, watching Doctor Who in a time shift seems somewhat appropriate, I would seems say. Seems appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for the production, um, I had mentioned before that once BBC America became the official U.S. you know partner, um, they started to kind of get a little bit more involved and kind of realize that, that this was a popular show for them. So, one of the things they did was actually co-produced these episodes, Um mostly by providing some money and um they shot the outdoor american scenes in the u.s you know they're in utah um and this is actually the first time that doctor who ever filmed in the states Hmm. we've had episodes that have been set there yeah but they never actually and i think they um I, i shouldn't say that i think for the daleks in manhattan they sent like a team to do like still shots of yeah like, yeah you know the like skyline. a secondary unit kind of yeah thing. exactly but they didn't uh uh send like the actors but yeah. here they actually sent a team over so whenever they're inside it's in wales but whenever they're outside it's uh and you can tell that it's america it's they're actually there um sure and so and you can tell it looks great um I also wanted to mention, I did mention last time, too, that Liz Sladen um, died, I think, just four days before this premiered. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of fresh in the memory. Um, And this episode uh, was nominated for a BAFTA Kumru for Best TV Drama. And we want to definitely acknowledge Mark Shepard, who plays uh, the young 
Canton Everett Delaware the third because he's quite a familiar face to a lot of cult sci-fi fans um yeah we uh we know him you know from in the Whedon world as Badger and Firefly sure um but also and I've also seen uh, I saw him recently in Battlestar yeah. Galactica he was Romo that, Lampkin that was also and, uh, I was I was gonna mention that as well yeah and I, I'm, I'm aware that he's in a number of other shows that I haven't necessarily seen. Like, I think he's big in, like, Supernatural and some other things, but... Yeah, um, he, he's one of those guys that... I, gets I, around. I knew him primarily from uh, Firefly initially, but also from Battlestar yeah. Galactica, because I actually watched that uh, pretty soon right after. Um, mm-hmm. He was also actually... Um, another sort of Whedon crossover. He was not in a, it's not a Whedon show, but he was in leverage, which uh, Christian Kane, who will be, we've seen him in one episode of angel already, but will will also appear in other episodes of angel. So, um, yeah, I know I've seen memes of Mark Shepard's face of where they say like, if you don't know who this is, turn in your geek card because you're not allowed. Yeah. And, Um, and he's apparently been in other stuff. He's apparently was in X-Files and, uh, burn notice, which I also was a show that I watched. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys who seems to be, um, all around. Um, and he was in dollhouse as well, actually. Now, now that I was trying to think of that and I just was able to confirm that he was in dollhouse. So, um, with, with, um, uh, Oh, what's it? Another guy from Battlestar Galactica who who's the actor oh, name I can't Hilo. remember. Whoever yeah. plays Hilo. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the actor name, but um, he's got a weird name. But Tamo Penica. Um, yes, um, yes. So, yes, uh, lots of lots of fun crossovers. Uh, he never he never seems to be though the star. Uh, no, no, he's more of a. He's a character actor. Sure. I would say. Sure. But know? but a good one. Like I always I like I, the stuff that he does and and he, character actors are the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um um and and never kind of plays the same type of person. You know, he always no, he, has a different a different personality, often a different accent, you know, like Yeah, he has He's a, always kind of you're never quite sure what he's going to do when he turns up. <laughs> I I was actually kind of surprised by the sort of dirty Harry-esque you know, <laughs> voice in this one. I kind of chuckled when I when it's I heard it. It's kind of like gravelly, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, uh, it is good. But anyway, so enough enough Mark Shepard love. Uh, well, yeah, we do love a bit of Mark Shepard, but um, so I want to turn it over to you now because um, I had mentioned that this season was gonna start messing around with the uh, expected structure. And it pretty much does that off the bat. So tell me what yeah. you noticed about that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're right. You did, you did sort of mention that sort of off the cuff. And I, I mean, we talked about sort of even broader than just a single episode structure of, you know, you have like the present time, modern day earth episode followed by, you know, maybe a historical one followed by a futuristic one. And maybe those, yeah. you know, the second and third ones are swapped a little, but, um, yeah. you know, that's pretty much been the mold since the beginning, the first yeah. season. Um, so now, yeah, we see Moffat comfortable in his skin, 
mm-hmm. and comfortable with changing it up on folks. Uh, yeah. So that beginning, the opening, I, I wanted to talk about it for a couple of reasons. One, it's, it's just kind of a fun thing. And actually um, even sort of reminded me of the final story in last season where we're opening with like, you know, this array of characters who we've seen, um, yeah. you know, doing all these different things. But instead of that, it's now the doctor doing all of these different things, trying right. to get the attention of the companion. So it's not, so it's, it's kind of swapped in a way, kind of inverse from that. It's not, you know, the companions and friends trying to get the doctor's attention. It's the other right. way around, but, um, yeah, but those same little vignettes of, things. yeah, exactly. So yeah. the, you know, the sort of, what I don't know, late 18th century, I guess, you know, where, Something, yeah. where he's, you know, hiding beneath <laughs> the petticoats of some woman he's right. wooed. And, uh, I, I love the painting too yeah, the, <laughs> with his face. Um, yeah, just, you know, just the, the hint of a little bit of, you know, skin down at the, or like the, the, uh, the idea, sash is like very carefully placed, you know, yeah, and everything. Yeah. Um, but then the idea that yeah, that's... and you know it's him just because of the the chin and the coiffed hair and everything you can tell you know yeah yeah um, and then the uh, you know the idea that then this is Amy reading from a storybook you know right. uh, saying this must be the doctor like this is exactly the sort of thing he's do and he's being somewhat audacious and trying to get our attention which yeah. what does that look like for the doctor. Like that he's right, even right. more like that he does something so outlandish that it's to draw Noticeable attention. In yeah, a like, book, right. like that anything else that he would do would not be this noticeable. Um, right. So that's kind of funny. Um, and then you get, you know, he's on TV and, and you said you particularly li- particularly liked the I, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, I am a big fan of that little snippet. Yeah, um, just the way Matt Smith kind of his glee as he waves out of the TV and then just runs back and starts dancing with them. Yeah. Um, so, great. you know, I mean, not not a ton of stuff or time, although, I mean, I'm sure it took time to, like, set all that up and film it and all that. But um, sure. I like that they kind of went through the effort to do that because it gives uh, it, it gives a couple of things, uh, thoughts that I had on it. One um if you look at like the previous seasons, um, not including the beginning of season one, obviously, cause that's, you know, fresh, brand new, he's coming. Um, you know, we don't know anything about him and, and he's just meeting Rose right at the beginning there. But, um, like if you look between like season one and season two, there's sort of a continual, he's with Rose and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of this continuity that's, you know, yeah. driven between the seasons. Um, at the end of season two, obviously he loses Rose. And so, you know, uh, but there's still also a continuity because it's like he's in the TARDIS and like that's immediately when Donna comes in, right? right. Gets sort of like right, right. beamed up and he's with Donna and takes, you know, through the Christmas special. Um, and then I guess there is some time between that and when he meets Martha, but like we get the sense that it's not very long. And I, sure. you know, I mean, you could argue that, well, it just seems that way. Maybe he was off. You know, there have been other times where we've gotten the hints that maybe he's gone off for years or at least months, you know, and yeah. not yeah, yeah. done whatever. But like, I mean, that seems like between, you know, the time when Donna 
chooses not to go with him and when he meets Martha isn't all that long um, mm-hmm. of a time. Um, at the end of that season, you know, Martha leaves, chooses to leave. Um, and then uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember. So then that's when we well, get. So it, it again leads right into Christmas, but again, between the Christmas and getting back together with Donna, there's again, one of those sort of unspecified amounts yeah, of time like, off. But it's the same thing. You feel like it's not a huge amount of time, you know? Right. So anyway, right. The the whole partners in crime thing. Like, you know, we get the sense right. that, like, he's, he's yeah, maybe gone on an adventure or two. But it's like, he's still right. sort of hanging around or whatever. So anyway, I guess, long story short, this is sort of the first time where we get well and and so between seasons four and five we actually talked about how very compressed that Mm -hmm. time period is like with the specials leading up to the final you know russell davies stuff and then boom you're in an exploding tardis and you're matt smith so like you know you go right into it so it's it's not like (laughs) you know again there's sort of this continuity and he meets amelia right away who you know she it's a long time for her but for him it's you know right right a few minutes for him this is going at a breakneck pace so this is the first time i think where we get sort of a clear message that there's been companions like still Mm -hmm. current companions who have not Mm -hmm. decided to actually leave the tardis per se Except yeah. that they have left the TARDIS and the Doctor's adventuring, but he's still kind of he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to draw them back in, um, right? And and there's this sense that they're still his companions, yeah. even though they're not with him in that moment, and that there's some period of time for them and for him both, not the same amount of time perhaps, but some period of time that has, you know, progressed uh, yeah. between when we last saw them in the Christmas episode on their honeymoon and now when they're sort of domestic and living together and well, the revelation at the end that, you know, Amy is pregnant, like, right, right. Right. You definitely get the sense that they've had some time to actually get settled as a couple, you know, long enough to get pregnant, long enough to buy a house, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and living, you know, somewhat, stably at this point um yeah and yeah i mean i think there's a few things there i mean definitely like you said like he is traveling without them but there is that sense of him trying to get their attention so maybe a little bit of uh, loneliness there of, of you know kind of looking for that attention from them maybe missing them a bit and then from amy's point of view same thing i mean she's not living in the tardis but what's she doing she's looking for references for the doctor and all these random you know it's not clear how much she's seeking that out but you at least get that she's sort of interested in what's he doing and keeping tabs on him and everything sure um and uh i mean definitely the first time that we've had like you said like they are the official full-time companion, I suppose, but not living in the TARDIS full-time. You know, we've always had, you know, Rose and Martha and Donna and even Amy last season, sort of when they hook up with the Doctor, for that time that they're with him, they pretty much drop everything and go with him. And it's not until they really officially leave 
that they go back home. Right. It's almost, um, it, it's, it's a pretty clear. Sort of an all or nothing, all or nothing kind of and, deal. And there's, it's, and it's like, except for Rose when she leaves, cause you know, she leaves unexpectedly. It, well, right. there, there's sort of a clearly stated, uh, you yeah. know, either yay or nay. Like, yes, I'm coming right. with and, you and or it, no, I'm not coming and with it you. And it may be, right. And it may be willing or not. Like for Rose, it's not willing. For Martha, it is. But in, in both cases, it's sort of a clear cut. There's an end to the time, your time in the right, TARDIS. Right. You know, even if they do see him again for various reasons, you know, but you can yeah. clearly say this is when they're living in the TARDIS and this is when they're not, you know. They're, they're no um, longer sort of active companions, you might right, call them. Right, right. Or like the, the primary companion or whatever. Yeah. So this is definitely a shift. Um. The other thing I like about the little vignettes too is I think that Moffat does. This is not new. I'm sure. I think they. I'm sure that they were making references since the classic series to all these like unseen adventures that the Doctor has and all his name drops. You know that. So they've been doing that forever, and he continues to do that. You know. Sure. Oh, Janice Joplin gave me that coat. Oh, I'm on Virginia Woolf's bowling team. Yeah, yeah. But I like that. That. Moffat seems to be the first one to kind of take that and, like, visualize it. Like, okay, you're not going to spend a whole episode of him, like, with Laurel and Hardy. We're just going to drop in, like, a two-second reference to it and let you see that and then go to something else. And that's totally irrelevant to what's going on in this episode. But it just takes those little name drops and mm-hmm. gives them, like, a visual. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he even does so I like that. name drops in... in... Here, right with the the founding father. Oh, right. two of them. Two of them him, fancied right. me. You know, like right, right, right. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, no, definitely, definitely a fun, a fun thing. But yeah, I, it, it, and I don't, I don't want to give too much importance to you know sort of what I was saying. But I think that that does show no, that I there's a different a... relationship, be, yep. you know, with these particular companions than he's definitely. had with the previous ones. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's unprecedented in the history of the show, too, because I think even more so in the classic series, the companions were very much um, there for when they were there, and then when they left, you never saw them again. You know, it's really Davies and the new show that kind of had the breakthrough of you could bring a companion back. You know, you could you could have Sarah Jane turn up, or you could have... Donna refuse him and then bring her back later or have Rose or Martha pop up, you know, mm-hmm. for various. So that was sort of the, the leap that he made. Yeah. And then Moffat's now taking that a step further and say, okay, well, what if you have a f- proper full-time companion? They just don't necessarily spend all their time in yeah. the TARDIS. They, they actually like have a yeah, leave of absence it, or something. Exactly. Like, it's like, I kind of imagine that he comes back every couple of weeks and then you go off and you have a couple adventures and then you go back home and then he, you know, whatever. So um, I think definitely that's a shift in the way the relationship can work. Yeah. But even then you see him, he can't help himself from kind of waving to them out of the history books. Right. And they can't help but wonder what he's up to and what's going on and right, everything. Right, right. Um, yeah, well, and so the other thing that I just wanted to sort of call out, of course, in, in the whole breaking the mold uh, for a first episode of the season is that we start off with a two-parter. 
which yeah. I was not prepared for and which greatly no. annoyed me. Um, so, <laughs> I know that you're a favorite. I know. No, I, that's, yeah, that's huge, obviously. Um, and I like the idea, too, that it's uh, starting the the season with the kind of thing that would normally be a finale. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a two-part episode. It's big and dramatic and crazy. And it's not necessarily, like, yeah. setting up the season. It's sort of like, oh, my God, like, they're killing off yeah, the doctor. The and they're doing all this crazy stuff. And it's going all over the place. And this is not normally... A season normally starts much more gently than this. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some of the crazy stuff because, like, we in in sort of figuring out how we wanted to outline the episode here, we were talking that you know normally a lot of times we'll focus on like character by character, but mm-hmm. because this is such a crazy episode and sort of plot heavy, um, we've wanted kind of go through it bit by bit. So I yeah. I want to focus on each of you know, sort of the major things that happen. We won't have time to talk about everything and we're already 20 minutes in, but um, I want to start. So, okay. So, you know, we talked about everything like before the opening credits so far in the first 20 minutes of our podcast. So now we're going to talk about how do the (laughs) companions actually get onto the tart or, you know, (laughs) meet up with the doctor again. Sure. Um, So, and two things about that is, so one, we get these invitations, right? So it's like in the midst of sort of seeing and or not seeing the doctor and all of these crazy vignettes, um, yeah. you know, this invitation arrives um, for Amy and Rory. Uh, but also then we get the invitation of River Song. So this uh-huh. implies to me, considering that we just saw River Song, in, not in the Christmas episode, but at least in the finale, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stories, um, mm-hmm. Does this mean that we're going to see her as a more regular companion this season? Um, mm. We, I mean, she was in a few episodes last season, you know, and a couple the season before. But, like, I, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but I do like the character and I like the actress. And, and sure. you don't have to say yay or nay even, but just the fact that she's getting this invitation like, you know, right. the companions and that the doctor even though he sort of implies that he doesn't trust her yet, he clearly trusts her enough to bring her out to this very important event. You know what I mean? So like there seems to be something going on there and we, and we can talk a little more about river maybe in a later when we get to where she gives her whole speech. But that was just sort of, that was on my second viewing. I sort of wondered that like, Hmm, we're actually, You know he's con- collecting his companions, and it's not just right. Amy he's and Rory. Including her, like, right? He yeah. he's proactively reaching out to her, which is the first time I believe that that happens. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I think it so because when mm-hmm. in 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 I mean the last time in the season finale stuff, she breaks out of prison yep. to get his yep. attention, like we kind of talked about. So yeah, like this is really the first time where where it seems like he's reaching out to her first. Um, yes, I think you're right. So anyway. Um, yeah. No, I think um, she, uh, you can look forward to a more prominent role this season than, than the previous one. I'll say that. Sure. Sure. 
Um, How prominent, I guess, I'll leave yeah, and maybe the, I'm the, not... your discovery, but... I mean... Like, I, think, I think you're right to be uh, kind of queued up for a bit more illumination with River you know, we, than we've had before. We, I, I do understand that, you know, she also goes out and has her own adventures. Um, sure. And I like that it's... That it seems to happen often enough that the guard gets worried when he's like, she's, she's packing, she's packing again. again. Like, And like, they know she's going to get out. Yeah. Like, they, once she's packing, you know, there's, there's no, and she's kind of open about it. Like, oh, I'm going to America. Like, she tells them where she's going. Like, right. there's no real worry there that they're going to stop her, um, you know. You know, so, so very funny that, but, uh. Yeah, I know. I mean, and that, like, maybe she's not in every episode. Maybe it's more like a Captain Jack situation where, mm-hmm. you know, she's with them for a time and then goes away and then comes back again a little bit later. I mean, obviously, I know that she does stuff on her own, too. And, and it's not the relationship between River and the Doctor seems to be one of, you know, this is when we meet up it's fun and, and exciting yeah. and whatever, but they do still sort of have their own thoughts and agendas and mm-hmm. experiences that they want to cultivate. And they don't always, they're not always going the same direction. Um, sure. They're frequently not going the same yeah. direction. In fact, um, they're going opposite directions, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, no, I think you have the right impression. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I didn't necessarily mean to spend that much time just on that particular thing, but it you know the fact that she is sort of summoned in the same way that the other companions mm-hmm. are seems significant. Um, yeah. So they get these invitations. They go out west and. Well, you know what? Before oh, we do sorry. that, let me just because I'm afraid I'm going to forget this later. Um, I think I just want to one quick point about River too. Uh, we also get a kind of unprecedented thing with the river, and I think, uh, you know, and there's been hints of it before, but. You get the first, what I think of as the real big first, the doctor intentionally flirting with her moment of uh, the great, great exchange of, you know, Dr. Song, you've got that face again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What face? The he's hot when he's clever face. Well, this is my normal face. Yes, it is. And, you know, that kind of like, oh, you're so clever, doctor. Um, To me, that feels different than what we've had before of him kind of, being kind of intrigued by her, but also kind of, you know, and he still doesn't trust her a hundred percent, you know, mm-hmm. as we see in this episode. But I think to me, that's a bigger leap forward of him sort of intentionally teasing her and going out of his way to be kind of flirtatious. So I didn't want to forget later. So I wanted to make sure yeah. that I mentioned that. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. And that, well, and that's, that's younger doctor. That is younger doctor. Um, True. Interestingly enough, the invitations aren't from younger doctor. And, no. And they're from an older version of the doctor, like some right. two hundred years older. Right. Uh, yeah. Incarnation of the doctor, or not incarnation, but um, couple things. Yeah. About that. So first of all, um, they get these invitations. They go out. They meet him. He's an older version of the doctor. He tells them his age. Uh huh. Rule number one, the doctor always <laughs> lies. Yeah, that's true. So can we can trust, we trust doctor? Can we trust yeah. that doctor in the age that he's given? And can we trust 
the other doctor even in the age that he's giving. Right. Can we trust any age the doctor has ever said? I don't know. That's a great question. I think that's the real question. <laughs> like, is, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, the several times that we've heard the doctor say his age, like in this, in these, you know, new yeah. who series that we've seen, like they do sort of like, it gets like one year older, one year older you know, at a time, with yeah. each series kind of thing. So like on the one hand, but does that just mean that he like, he just happens to remember what he said last time. And so he's just adding a year to it. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's a great question. Cause in the classic series, I think he was roughly in the seven hundreds for like a really long time. Yeah. So it's sort of like, I think all of the, the discussions of his age are questionable. Yeah. So like, okay. It's been a long time since someone asked me my age. I'm just going to say some number that's greater than sure. what I think I said before. Right. Right. Um, right. So anyway. The, uh, right. Right. But but we're. Yeah. But I mean, we're meant to have the impression that there is an older one and a younger one. Oh, um, yeah. No, and, I know. And, and again, unless unless we can't. The doctor lies. So. Yeah. Like. the Can we trust anything the doctor says? Really? <laughs> I mean, assuming that. And I'm kind of skipping ahead here. So yeah. if the doctor actually dies, uh-huh. then sort of logically, the other doctor has to be a younger version, right? right? Like, right. So I mean, so like there's yeah. that simple because they're with him. The timeline seems know, to make sense, um, yeah. You know, it, and it's only by a matter of how many years is, is the one doctor older than the other. Yeah. So anyway, but it's older doctor. So... One intriguing question that we probably can't really suss out. I mean, I don't know that there's enough evidence one way or the other to figure it out. Is is it the younger doctor or the older doctor who is in the vignettes? Mm. Uh, my suspicion would be that it's the younger doctor trying to get their attention and that the older doctor is the one who invites them. No, that is, that's my suspicion too. Knowing, I don't know that we ever find that out for sure, yeah, but and that's the way I read maybe it. Maybe it's not a huge question, but it's sort of an intriguing thing to think about. Like, it's this younger doctor trying to get their attention, but the older doctor knowing that the younger doctor is trying to get their attention and that they're intrigued by the younger doctor trying to get their attention, uses that intrigue to send the invitations to lure them. Right. I mean, lure sounds more nefarious, you know, right, maybe right. what, but to, um, Right. get them they to come them. meet meet them <laughs> meet him in the desert um yeah so uh so the other question sort of about the the eight has to do with the age thing is you know there's can 200 years really have passed maybe i suppose but we also have the real world knowledge of the fact that there's another doctor who you know comes along in a couple seasons. So like, I don't know how many mm. years we're supposed to have believed have passed between that, or maybe what other events mm-hmm. have transpired, but that's sort of like retcon kind of thinking about it. So maybe that's sure. not even. Something sure. Should... And I think even at the time, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to use, I'm going to put forward Lewis's, surprisingness for this because (laughs) even even at the time that it's on and it's current i think you have to be sitting there thinking okay it's not is he going to get out of this it's how right you know like you you i feel like you're pretty confident that you know there will be a 12th doctor you know or or they're not gonna 
cancel the show because Moffat can't figure out a way out of his own plot hole. You yeah, know? in like, the first episode you know I mean? of the season. In the right. first episode of the season. So, you know, I'm not saying that that contradicts what happens in the episode. I guess it's more of a wait and see kind of thing. But, like, there is that element of how is this going to work itself out, yeah. given what we feel pretty sure we know about the future. Well, you know? and, and well, also... And there's, and there's also just the giant... Uh, thing that we keep saying in every episode which is the time can be rewritten you know sure so. sure which amy brings up yeah. explicitly in this episode so right. no obviously i know all that and i'm saying like this is these are just sort of the thoughts that are going around my head yeah. like as yeah, i yeah. as i'm watching or as i'm thinking through um the other thought that i'm having is of course this is moffat the guy who creates the incredibly complex sherlock you know scenario yeah. so like <laughs> right He's a bit of a mystery hound. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, all, so we get the invitations, we get, you know, them meeting elder doctor and we get, um, you know, Well, and I'll, I'll also point out the fact that regardless of what we in the, as the viewer knows, Amy doesn't know that there's any more doctors, you know, certainly so from where she's, so, oh, yeah, so there's yeah. the dramatic weight for the character. No, 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 no. Even if, I, you know, I get that there's a, different you know sort of diegetic outlook yeah no and, and uh i know you do i just think it's worth pointing out absolutely um so yeah so no so they go meet older elder doctor but they don't really i mean i guess they do ask his age or whatever so you know they know um and i like you know the whole the comparison the syncing up of the diaries um which clearly is yeah. sort of a plot device for later when the diaries don't sync up and the right. experiences don't sync up in the same way. But um, right. I like, you know, the whole, like the Jim, the fish, is it like, Jim the fish. <laughs> like, you know, it's like these intriguing yeah. things that yeah. they've done, um, you know, him and river and all this stuff. And, and right. Rory kind of gets added into the mix there. So we're, we're getting, um, yeah. Oh, I want to talk about that too, actually. And maybe this is a good time to do it, but, I, mm -hmm. but so like, I, I like all of that and, and they get that it's an older doctor and everything. Um, the Rory thing. So yeah. we just had our conversation with um, Corey Olson, the, the Tolkien professor, um, uh -huh. which hopefully we'll have up on our site you know, <laughs> before this conversation Soon. gets posted. But um, yeah. one of the things that we talked about is um, because he's only in season one and half of season two that he's seen so far. Um, we yeah. talked about Rose sort of being the, um, point of view character and and i yeah. couldn't think of the term that michael drought uses for for those sorts of characters in uh, the hobbit um like but the, i did the epistemic regime that, or something that's like. it see you thought of it faster than i did i had to go look it up after our conversation um well, only because i proofread your thing for the <laughs> yeah well that's when you i put it in you put it in the in the webathon or the the, the, newsletter. the newsletter so anyway, i just read it anyway i'm not that smart so um so the epistemic regime so and i think that that we talked a little bit about how rose fits that you know especially in season one but one of the things that i brought up was that you know that sort of changes with each companion as you go along and i think i didn't i didn't bring this up in our conversation because Corey hadn't gotten there yet but one of the things that um where that changes i think is when mickey comes on to the tardis yeah. mm -hmm. uh you know that he sort of becomes more of that character yeah. Uh, to more yeah, or less of Rose an extent. Is, 
as Rose is sort of ascending the levels of awareness, I guess. Yeah. Our Buffy term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Then Mickey becomes a useful kind of point of view, like lowest common denominator kind of. Um, and then you know, at the end of that season, they both sort of ship off, and then we get Martha, who right. and and uh, you know, and even at that point. Like in in the the Shakespeare episode, um, you know, where we get the doctor saying, "Oh, I hate having to explain this stuff again." You know, like with the psychic paper, yeah, Yeah. and all that. So, like now, you know, it's Rory. Like Amy's no longer the companion that has that epistemic epistemic regime um, through which we're seeing everything. It's it's now Rory, I think, who sort of fits that bill. So, I just want to point out, like, I do think that 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 continues to kind of work Mm -hmm. through pretty pretty well like even when you have a companion that stays on you end up getting like a mickey or a rory being brought in to kind of fill that um newbie point of view even even i think we need that even for viewers who are you know by the fifth season they've watched the entire series you know up to this point i still think it's good to have that because you get some various insight that you wouldn't because you get these new characters asking questions that need to explain certain things so um, we can get to that later probably better with river speech but i wanted to make sure right right but you get things like rory getting tasked with explaining things to canton like why do i have to do this well you're the newest yeah you know like or asking why are you you know talking about jim the fish like oh because we're syncing up our diaries and figuring out where they are and the explanation of you know, that they don't always meet up in the same order. Right, uh, right. So, anyway, we're two-thirds of the way through the podcast almost, <laughs> and we've gotten through, like, the first three scenes. Um, this was a swell idea to go through it plot point by plot point. Um, <laughs> Whose idea was that? <laughs> this was totally my idea. So, um, on to the picnic. Yeah. Um, the doctor not knowing if he's ever had wine before is hilarious. Uh, but the, so we get this appearance of this guy we don't know, turns out to be an elder Canton. Mm-hmm. Um, but just this weird guy. Um, I like sort of too, with the whole Western motif that you get Canton sort of up the hill and then you right. get the, the astronaut down at the bottom, uh, you know, right. almost in sort of the standoff kind of way. Right. Of course that doesn't end up being the standoff. It's, the doctor goes and talks to the, the astronaut and right. Yes. But like the music gets that twangy kind of <sighs> yeah. Southern thing. And yeah. yeah. Um, talks Western, to the astronaut and well, Southwestern. We'll, we'll go with Southwestern. Yeah. Um, Sounds good. And they, uh, astronaut shoots him. Yeah. And he starts to regenerate with some like sci-fi ish weapon too. Like, um, right, like a laser yeah, gun or some something. Some kind of yeah. It's like has a glowing a force green field sort of thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And as he's regenerating, shoots him again so that he dies uh completely. Yeah. Um and this is so this is Moffat intentionally painting himself into a corner. Right. <laughs> because you know, of course the first thing the audience thinks is well it's not really the doctor which is amy's reaction right Right. maybe it wasn't really the doctor canton comes up oh no it was definitely the doctor and he's definitely dead right which you do feel like not 
the Canton has more to do in the 1960s plotline, but you kind of feel like that's why this Canton is here now yeah. is to confirm that for us. You right. Know? Right. And we don't even know who he is yet at this point. Like right, it's just, right. he says it with such authority that you almost take him right. like you would take the doctor on authority right, that right. like he's, he's definitely the doctor. He's like, well first, okay. So you know who the doctor is and you recognize him as such. And you know, you're saying that he's definitely dead. So you must have some sort of, special knowledge that we don't have and then so that's not bad enough that you get this confirmation from canton what do does he carry down with him a can of gasoline that they need to use to burn the body so it's not even right. like oh he's gonna come back well to maybe there was like or, a vestige yeah. of you know regenerative power that right. wasn't killed by the second shot that then right. you know that just takes some time, like with the doctor's daughter, right? It just took some time right. for it to right. kind of go through, and then she had that one little breath, and then suddenly she's okay. Right, right. We can't do that because on top of everything else, we're going to soak the body in gasoline, <laughs> put it on a boat in the middle of a desert, the only place that has a lake, push it out, set it on fire like this big biking funeral. Yep. And presumably at some point it sinks and his charred bones and ashes fall to the bottom yeah. of a lake in a desert <laughs> that is also somewhat impossible, it seems. So, again, this is Moffat painting himself into a corner. Yeah, yeah. This how, is Moffat sitting here saying, how much more doubt can I erase from this situation? Yeah, how can I... Where are there? Are there any other loopholes that I can fix? Yeah, here? beyond yeah. a shadow of a doubt, this is the doctor and he is dead. And then, of course, the 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 idea becomes for the audience and for the characters: how do we reverse that? How how does yeah. this? Because I I think you're right. Like what you said before, it's not we don't doubt that the doctor is actually going to be okay in the end. Mm -hmm. It's we just have no freaking clue how that's going to happen. <laughs> right. And right. and right. that's what pulls you in, and that's what intrigues you. I think. Um, yeah. From that point on. Um, yeah. I also, so all of that happens, anything like up to that point, up to the doctor's death and the picnic and the invitations that we haven't covered that you need to throw in before I move uh, on. I, I mean, this probably doesn't need a whole lot of emphasis, but just, uh, because it is so important too, that this isn't, they're not, I, I feel stupid saying this, but this is such an important point. They're not ambushed. They're not tricked they're not trapped they're not like that this is clearly the doctor specifically yeah inviting them giving them a date a time a place um being there deliberately and seeing you know the astronaut come and telling them whatever happens you don't interfere you know so like a very you know not like the doctor's running and he gets shot by the Dalek and starts to regenerate or right, something. Right. This is this is like a very it's, deliberate the doctor knows it's coming, you it, know, and is accepting of it to some degree. It's if it's not suicide, it's like the thing immediately below suicide. You right. know, like it's resignation. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. it's it's a, but yeah, like it's not even like sacrifice during a time of battle or you know what I mean? Like right. that kind of thing. Like it's, he's willingly going to his death. Right. We don't know why we don't know the, I mean, obviously all that 
maybe we will or maybe we won't ever find that out. I don't know. But right. for some reason, he is choosing at this moment to die. Yeah. Even yeah. though he's not specifically the one who pulls the trigger, it's like yeah. the next thing to Walking that. into the bullet. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Uh, I guess the other thing which, which is... kind of goes along with that is his uh, recognition of the astronaut, I guess, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and not it's even... It's okay. I know it's you. Right. Not even recognition because it's, he knows who it is even before. Oh, beforehand, right. Before it happens. Um, and then the veil or whatever, the, I don't know, lifts yeah. or, and he sees who it is. We don't, um, yeah. which becomes interesting later. But, uh, hmm. okay. So, no, I think that's a good point because that's actually, that's what he thinks is happening later on. Younger doctor mm-hmm. thinks that they're under some sort of duress yeah. and that it's right. It's not, they're not. And I think, so I think that's a good point. So, um, so they go back to this diner or whatever, where they initially met and, and they see that, uh, the younger doctor is the one who got this, um, fourth invitation. Right. Or, well, the first invitation, I guess. Who did, I love that. Number one, who does he trust the most? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and you're like, oh, right. Himself, of course. Of course, yeah. And I like that he doesn't understand, well, he seems not to understand. To know what it's about. Uh, yeah. Well, not, that, not that he doesn't know, that, know what it's about, but when River says, you know, someone who trusts you more than anyone else in the world, he doesn't get right. that it's himself. Right. Like, or he seems like, he seems to look somewhat confused by that remark. Slow on that uptake. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like, if he gets it, then he's certainly not showing that he gets it at that point. Right. So, um, and I love that the second mention of Jim the Fish there, and he's like, ooh, who's Jim the Fish? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to meet this person. I haven't yet. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So we get, you know, again, the contrast of now, clearly, there are these things that have happened. Um, that he hasn't yet been a part of, but will someday yeah. be. Um, yeah. So with with the younger doctor, mm-hmm. uh, I well, so they go into the TARDIS and like there's the whole like Amy and River just kind of walk away and he's like oh are they mad yeah. at me and Rory's like yeah I'll go find out and walks away and like yeah. he doesn't really have an intention of finding out he knows what's right. wrong and he's just and, like and the and the great uh I'm being clever up here and yeah yeah you know, there's no one to see it what's the point in having you all like he's trying to impress them and they're all like gossiping down below like he's just annoyed like um but that's, this is what I keep you around for but that whole scene of like you know, they're trying to convince him, like, we need to go back to this particular yeah. time and place or whatever. And he's like, no, I'm not doing it until you tell me what's going on. Which is, of course, funny. Well, or at least ironic. Uh, in that, that's what he does to people all the time. All the like, time. Right? Uh, literally, like, every episode he does that yeah. to other people. Like, yeah. you just need to trust me that we should go to this place and, yeah. you know, that we'll no, even get there. He likes to be in control. Yeah. He's not great at following someone else's lead when he doesn't know what's going on. Um, 
but it's it's interesting to me how quickly their insistence turns into his suspicion. Um, yeah. That that it's it immediately goes to something is wrong. Yeah. You're someone's put you under duress. Is someone threatening you? Is you know like was yeah. And they insist no no no. Um. And so River, uh, you know, tries to say, look, you know, just trust me. And gets a bit heartbroken when he doesn't yeah. and explains sort of why he doesn't trust her, <laughs> you know, yeah. which are sort of in a way like all valid reasons. And and but it, I, I thought it was interesting given that. So and of course, this is the important part, right? So we the invitation to River as though she were a companion I guess in thinking about it, because that's coming from the older doctor makes Mm -hmm. more sense than if it, because it's not the younger doctor who invites her along. So it's the older doctor who trusts her and who has had all these experiences with her, but, but this doctor still hasn't. And so, yeah, I think that's a good point. um, You know, he said, not to the extent, you know, I think he, likes her and is getting to trust her, but not to the extent that he trusts Amy, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be there yet. Well, and definitely. I think that's a good point that, that the, the envelope is indicative of the future trust more so than what's going on like right now. Um, but interesting also in the way that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, we, we've always, we've had, everyone gets that question asked at some point in their life, right? What, what would you tell your younger self if you could go back? Right. And this yeah. is the older doctor telling his younger self, sure. you know, right. you this need to, you, can trust. you need yeah. to trust River Song. Yeah. So, um, but I, but you know, we get that, you know, the questions from him, you know, who are you? You're someone for my future getting that, but who, okay. Why are you in prison? Who did you kill? Now, I love bad girl me, but trust you? Seriously? Like, he's he's kind of mean in that moment. Like, I mean, like, this isn't just like, I'm going to express my doubt about you because I don't quite know you yet. It's, you know, sort of ripping on all the, Mm -hmm. you know, the the baddest thing that she's done. You know, who did you kill? Why were, why are you in prison? Like, Going right for the jugular in a way. And you can sort of see her, uh, well, not sort of, you definitely can see her uh, despair, you know, in that. Um, So Amy steps in, of course, and Mm -hmm. says, if you don't trust her, then trust me. Trust uh, Custard and Fish Fingers, right? Yeah. Or Fish Fingers and Custard, whatever the right right order is. you know, and, and he does. And so, I don't, I mean, you know, okay. I mean, we, again, going back to your point that they're not under duress, that they're all, you know, they're willingly, that they're all, you know, doing whatever. Like, it's interesting mm-hmm. how they do sort of, though, become under duress because they can't really tell him. What's right. actually going on, or at least they think they can't. I mean, yeah, presumably they shouldn't. Yeah, it's like they're not under duress from any particular person that they know of, but the circumstances, I guess, yeah, you know, are such that they can't risk uh messing with the timeline, you know, 
Right. Um, um, at least until they know a little bit more about what's going on. Right. I mean, all Amy wants to do is mess with the timeline, but River kind of cautions her that you have to go about this a little bit more smartly, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you can do anything at all. I mean, that's the eternal flip-flop of the, of the time can be rewritten. Not all of it. Right, right. Well, <laughs> Who says? Who do you think? <laughs> and, so the same person that's saying, you know, it can be rewritten is also the same one who's saying not all of it. Right. You know, and who's to say which moments are which, you know? Right. Um, also, I will point out that in the, you know, season finale of the previous season, there was the, you know, doctor knew that he was going to die in whatever 12 minutes or whatever it was you know in the right. in the museum and stuff so you know maybe that's different than knowing you're going to get die in 200 and whatever years presumably yeah. but yeah but there you know it's not like it would be the first time that he knew that something dire was going to happen to him and sure. you know continued on anyway in in a certain sort of yeah i mean i guess why why not? Why couldn't they just tell him, you yeah. know, and let him work out a way to <laughs> get around it? Yeah. Um, um, but it, I mean, of course, it does go along with, uh, well, and this is the other thing that I want to say. So it goes along with River Song's, you know, idea of, you know, spoilers and yeah. all of that. But um, it's interesting because this is the first time where we've actually been in on what the spoiler is. We're ahead. So, yeah, we're so ahead we know what it is she's trying to hide. So, you know, how do we, you know, sometimes the, this whole spoilers thing is kind of fun and cheeky, you know, and yeah. why are there always handcuffs and that kind of thing. But, right. <laughs> um, you know, this time, you know, we're there with, with her, knowing what the spoiler is and 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 it's not it it is ambiguous it's like well why can't he know that that's what happens and what would happen if he found out we don't know and so right um maybe it's just one of those like in general it's better not to know because then you can't mess around with it too much but I don't know. Maybe there are times when knowing the spoilers are a good thing too. Like it's, it's right. not real clear to me what. Yeah, no. I, and I think that's kind of the finickiness of it is what, like there are times where, cause you know, it's always that question of the, the kind of the fixed points or whatever, like is, is it, does knowing something is, is fixed and, you know, or knowing that it's coming, does that help you prevent it? Or does that ensure that it can't be prevented? You know, and that's right. kind of a, you know, I think that's an open question because we've kind of seen some evidence to both sides, I think. Because yeah. um, we've seen the doctor deliberately change and rewrite things that he knew were supposed to happen. But we've also had times where, you know, the timeline stays, you know, irreversible and immutable and everything so yeah um, or even even when he rewrites a portion of it something else happens to have the same outcome right um such as like the waters of mars right 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 or we were just talking about in the christmas carol that he becomes bitter you know yep different for different reasons rather than the, the original reason exactly so exactly. 
Um, yeah, like what's to say that preventing the doctor's death isn't the thing which then will bring it about, you know? I think that's always the time travel question, you know, is like, oh no, am I going to be the thing which causes the thing which I'm trying to prevent happening? Um, yep. Or there's just Rivers' very simple statement that messing with it <laughs> could, like, blow a hole in time and space, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, just, you know, forget about, like, you know, even just, like, not being able to change events, but just causing damage to the timeline, you know, whatever that means, yeah. you know? Maybe maybe something you know along the lines of like the kind of crazy cracks and big bangs that we've seen you know like yeah that's not necessarily in a that hasn't anything really to do with the timeline that's just like a a, a space-time catastrophe right you know right um uh, so that's kind of suggests why you know why you might want to tread a little carefully and um you know, at least why River would be sort of wary about that. Yeah. Uh, so a couple things in the last few minutes. That's we right. did not even get close to the end. We may just have to go over because I think we still need to talk about a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, you know, the the whole the conversation that River and Amy have, you know, where River's like, I know what you're thinking. And they're like, no, you don't. You know, well, you're thinking that if we can find Spaceman in 1969, neutralize it, and then it won't be around in 2011 to kill the doctor. Okay, lucky guess. <laughs> no, I was thinking it too. So, yeah. um, I mean, yeah. And of course, I think that's, again, this is audience point of view too, right? Oh, we figured yeah. it out. We figured out exactly what, how right. you can resolve this. Just kill the thing that killed the doctor. And right, then it right. won't ever kill the doctor. And, and of course, I mean, there's going to be complications with that, no doubt. But, um maybe just sort of in in note of the time here, we can jump to the end there because that's precisely what Amy tries to do. Yeah. <laughs> in that last moment of the episode uh, where the astronaut is coming out and we see that it's this girl. Yeah. Uh, who's, right, in the suit. Who's been calling for help. Right. Um, calling Nixon, that is, for help. Right. Um, not the first person I'd call, but, you know, he was president and... At the time, maybe sort that would have sort of stuck with him. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's who would have been appropriate to call for, you know, someone who's naive and doesn't know all the political stuff that's going on and young and right, right, right. So, um, anyway, the what a disappointing. Kind of, oh, and especially because of all the the stuff we've seen so often about the doctor's sort of antipathy with guns. You know? Antipathy with like, guns like and, and a, killing people in general. And killing it. Yeah, it's such a brutal thing for, you know, for Amy to pick up and just shoot wildly like that, you mm -hmm. know? Um, it doesn't feel right, you know? Like, this isn't what do the doctor and his companions yeah. do, you know? That's not how they roll. Um, no, it's definitely, especially since we, I mean, we've seen that there's these uh spacesuits throughout this warehouse. So just because you happen to see one person in a spacesuit doesn't necessarily even mean that it's the one it's who the goes same at, right, back. Right. So like there's yeah. there's all sort of logical reasons too why not to do it. Not just moral ones, but yeah. um yeah. well although I mean I suppose 
moral and logical don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, I didn't mean to set it up that way, but uh, (laughs) yeah, no, you know, the fact that she does, you know, she freaks out and grabs the gun and just shoots sort of blindly. Mm. um, And the doctor, you know, calling and telling her not to um, not definitely not how I would have expected the episode to end. Yeah. Um, Even, even if, well, we've seen River. River seems to be a little more trigger happy than the doctor. Right. So, like, that right. wouldn't have surprised me. But the fact that right. Amy does um, definitely surprises yeah. me. Um, yeah, and I think, like you said, even before when the doctor gets shot, it's with, like, the laser gun and stuff. And they've always been very deliberate with that. They only, a lot of times the guns they use are, like, sci-fi, futuristic, like, vapor rays and stuff like that. Like... They really only use, like, regular guns with regular bullets when it's really important, you know? Like, it's only, like, when you want the big dramatic death with the master mm. that you pull out the the bullet, you know? Right. Um, there's only a, a really few occasions of it. So I think it's um, kind of important to notice when they do it because um, it's so rare. Yeah. And so we don't actually know at this point if Amy even hits the no. the girl in the suit. Um no. But I don't think that matters for what we're talking about because it's it's the fact that she tries. It's the shock to, of her doing it. Yeah, yeah, that that is that is really edited. Yeah, and it. you get that that the doctor's trying to stop her and almost her kind of instant regret, you know, of like her almost kind of like she's like, you know, like the way she kind of screams that mm-hmm. she like almost seems to like not even realize what she just did. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, what came over like me kind of some kind of survival instinct took over mm-hmm. in that moment mm-hmm. or, or protect. And well, I was going to say a protective instinct too, because we well, found sure. out moments before that she's also pregnant. And is there, is there right. a sort of a motherly instinct, you know, like mother bear sort of, right. you know, instinct right. going right. on there. Um, right. Not to not to make light of it or anything, but you know, I mean, it is. We've are you know based on the conversation that she had with River earlier, like we already know that this is the way that she's thinking, anyway. Yeah. So it's like, has it become yeah. for her, you know, something so big in her mind that it just? But when the opportunity does arise, and when she's faced with the actual terror of the thing that killed the doctor, it's like no, you're not going to get another chance. You know, yeah. this is yeah. this is me stopping you. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely how I read it. It's like a, a kind of out-of-control moment of sort of panic, you know, and trying to protect the doctor, and, and you're right, and herself and her baby too, but, um, but that doesn't mean it's totally un not totally unconscious because she has been thinking about it. She's, right. You know, you see how devastated she is when the doctor dies and she's looking for any way to find a way around it. Mm-hmm. So definitely at least some part of her, I don't think it's totally impulsive in the sense that like she had, I think she had been thinking about how can I, how can we neutralize the astronaut? How can we stop this from happening? Right. Um, so anyway, um, the other thing I want, want to definitely make sure we talk about is, so we, we already talked about Rory sort of being the point of view character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he goes down, um, into the tunnels with, 
uh, with River, mm. he's sort of the perfect one to ask the questions about yeah. what's going on, right? And and yeah. we get the explanation from her about yeah. sort of her fears, the things that apparently she's been ruminating on. Um, uh, and what she's been ruminating on is silence in the library. <laughs> yes. So so well, there's two two bits, right? So the, first yeah. of all, it's. You know, when I first met the doctor a long, long time ago, he knew all about me. Think about yeah. that. Impressionable young girl. And suddenly this man just drops out of the sky and he's clever and mad and wonderful and knows every last thing about her. Imagine what it does to a girl. And Rory's reply, I don't really have to. So, yeah. of course, that's what happened in a way, not same exact way, but similar with Amy. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, this yeah. is this is the complex that amy has for the doctor now you right. know if that's what we right. want to call it like this is yeah. there's definitely that same attitude there so rory is very sympathetic at this point understanding yeah. um yeah. and a little bit a little bit of jealousy comes yeah, out there you know that that, that lingering yeah. hint of you know he knows that there's a specialness to that relationship that yeah. he can see but isn't necessarily a part of it and can't talk about with Amy because it would just right. make it worse. Yeah. Um, in a way. So anyway. Yeah. So there's that. The, yeah. Then then we get the further explanation from River. Um, trouble well, is. But, oh, sorry. Uh, but then ahead. there's there's also the other bit, which is that it's also the the basically the doctor's relationship with River from his point of view. You know, she kind of dropped in and knew every last thing about him too. Um, and to your point, you're going to talk about the back to front kind of thing. They are like that for each other. You know, yeah. his experience of her knowing all the spoilers and knowing everything about their future, you find out is exactly the same for River. Each of them is that way to the other one. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, right. So she, she says, trouble is it's all back to front. My past is his future. We're traveling in opposite directions. Every time we meet, I know him more and he knows me less. I live, which is her perspective yeah. from our perspective, which is the doctor's, like you're it's saying, the other way it's around. the other way yeah. around. Every time we meet, the doctor knows her more. The doctor <laughs> knows whatever the yeah. opposite of that is. Yes. Uh, she said, she continues, I live for the days when I see him, but I know that every time I do, he'll be one step further away. And the day mm -hmm. is coming when I'll look into that man's eyes, my doctor, and he won't have the faintest idea who I am. And I think it's going to kill me. Of course, we know it's not specifically that that kills her, but in a way it kind of also is. Because sure. that's the yeah. thing. She doesn't know how right she is. <laughs> because she stops him from killing himself. And if he, yeah. had, like, it's it's a different perspective because she's willing to sacrifice knowing that she's at the end of her journey, but he's yeah. at the beginning of his, as with respect to their relationship. Yeah. Um. So, you know, if he kills himself, neither yeah. of them, or kills himself, sacrifices himself, you know, yes. in, in that moment of yeah. silence in the library and whatever the second one is. Um, then neither of them have any of that time together. But if she right. does it, they still can both 
even right. though it's already happened for her, it's right. It's still there. And that's like, it, it brings even like from that perspective of, of what she's saying here brings yeah. even that line of, of her saying, you know, don't you dare, you know, yeah. you know, when he says time can be rewritten, talk about yeah. time being rewritten. She says, don't you dare, you know, don't change one single day of that. And, yeah. and it, yeah. it, it, it sort of makes it even more of an impact to sort of think about it that way, that it's, yeah. That it's, well, and you get why she says, like, the doctor's death doesn't scare me. My own death doesn't scare me. She's more worried about the implications of that day. And that is mostly what she's scared of in the library is, you know, don't change anything. You know, if you change anything, it's going to change everything. Right. Um, and and is that, is that then sort of the reason for her not wanting to hand out spoilers? Because something might then change. And everything that she knows about the doctor and has experienced with the doctor will then change as well. That's a good point. Possibly erasing it all. You know, right. like right. change change could be minor, maybe unnoticeable. Or the change yeah. could be that it's completely right. nothing. She never met the doctor and never has any right. of those experiences. Right. The other bit of irony in there which kills me is... The, uh, the the one the, it's so sad the one bit of consolation she has is that she'll get to look into his eyes my doctor and he won't even know me but of course it's not her doctor it's doctor number 10 and so I also think that line is really poignant you know because mm -hmm. mostly what we see is River associating with the 11th doctor yeah, you know yeah. I, I mean i guess we can imagine if there are future doctors that you know they go off and whether we see them or not we can imagine that they have relationships with river but i think for the purposes of what's on tv you know river is very strongly associated with the 11th doctor so then to hear that and to know that when she finally does have that final adventure and he doesn't know who she is it's not even her doctor mm. you know it's someone she doesn't hardly recognize you know yeah she knows him really well you know she knows intellectually that it's him and you kind of realize why she's like giving him such a hard time in that episode because that must be so painful mm. you know like you know like when he says i am the doctor and she's like yeah someday you know right like right it just must be the worst kick in the gut that you finally get to that point, the thing she's been dreading. Mm -hmm. And it's this other person who she's never seen before. Right. So there, there's our angst for the episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And she, even, I mean, then that's what she says here that, you know, he won't even have the faintest idea of who I am. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Um, haven't talked about Canton at all. There's Canton. He's ex-FBI. He's recruited mm -hmm. by Nixon to be someone on the outside. Winds up with the doctor and them. Yes. What else? Good Good job, Canton. Okay. I, there's not a whole lot yeah. to say. I mean, maybe he does more in the next episode, but at this point, I don't think there's much more. Um, although, except that he is at least willing to trust the doctor. He's... he's uh, you know, he has a problem with authority. Oh, thank you. That wasn't a compliment. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. um, so this is like just sort of temperamentally, this is someone who we can see getting along with the doctor who yeah, also yeah. has, and a he problem. clearly thinks the doctor's awesome pretty much from the second yeah. he meets him. I yeah. love that. He's like, 
you know, this guy kind of walked in here with a giant blue box. He might be worth listening to, you know, <laughs> since he, seeing as he walked past your, like, secret security guards and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And uh, the aliens. We cannot well, forget. Well, I just want to oh, say, sorry. the only the thing I really love about Nixon is that, of course, he records everything. So I thought that's what oh, I yeah. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, the aliens, which yes. everyone forgets about, we shouldn't forget yes. about. We should not forget um, them. Yeah, you know, Amy, I I thought that was clever uh, using her phone to like take a picture, but yeah. then like she never looks at her phone again. Like so, right. like she doesn't remember what it is. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's sort of the fake out of the alien tells her that he needs to that she needs to tell the doctor something, mm. um, and the fake out being like, you know, oh doctor, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. <laughs> like right, oh. Right. I thought for a minute there you actually remembered, you know, through... What you're supposed to... No, but I think you are supposed to wonder, like, is that a kind of subliminal suggestion? Like, if he... If the alien tells her, you must tell the doctor, you know, what does he say? Like, what what he must know and what he must never know. And then she comes out with this, I have to tell him something. You know? I think you're supposed to wonder how much of a suggestive power does that alien have over her? Right. Um... Yeah, and just that very, very interesting, you know, thing that you, you know, sort of the setup of the aliens, the the gimmick, I guess, of yeah. not, of being able to see and remember and all of that, like, when they're in your sight, but yeah. otherwise having no recollection of them, no idea that yeah. they exist. Um, yeah, so- I was saying before we started that I completely lied last time when I said that memory wasn't going to be as big of a theme and ironically enough because i forgot about (laughs) yeah i just wasn't thinking forgot about these Um, aliens well i forgot about them and 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 i just wasn't i my mind just wasn't on the episode but um but obviously that continues to be present in moffat's mind and wanting to kind of very similar to the, the weeping angels in execution you know that it's kind of about sight and and the way that they function you know, uh, we're going to see a bit more of them in the next episode, the way they can kind of function on a slightly meta level that like, you know, we, the audience can kind of get involved and imagine what, how they work and everything. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, we don't know much about them other than that. They just, either it's part of their nature or they have the ability to make other people forget. So, um, I might as well mention too the design of them because they're super creepy. But um, yeah, they are. The the fingers are the worst. Those giant uh-huh. fingers. But um, kind of based on a couple different things. Uh, Munches the scream that yeah. that painting. Sure. Um, when the kind of mouth Munch. opens up, Munch, or whatever. And um, uh, the other just being the kind of classic. I think they're called the Greys, like the gray aliens, like the really iconic, like. Roswell, yes, you know, oh, Southwestern. That's, I wanted to bring up Roswell. Thank you, because and and I think because of the setting and the time yeah, yeah, period, yeah. like it's set in this kind of like Southwestern and FBI and 1960s mm. when all this like paranormal yeah. stuff was you know maybe going on. So kind of you kind of might imagine that this might be the inspiration for all of those like mm-hmm. those that that genre of alien, I guess. Sure, sure, yep. Definitely. 
All right. Well, I guess we'll find out more soon enough. But you will. Lots of lots of good stuff, and we went way over, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> good. All right. On, well, on to Angel. Some, we got some great stuff to talk about uh, for Angel too. Um, mostly, I want to talk about Wesley, but let's do Cordy first because I think she's more of our lead here and the one that we've been following um especially in the aftermath of doyle's uh untimely demise um but it's kind of interesting to see rather than the focus be on angel that the focus is more on cordy and kind of her you know regret mixed with a little bit of guilt of Mm. you know his loss, you know, and you kind of see that she's not like suicidally depressed, but she's, you know, like, you know, the, the, the sadness is lingering with her. She can't really stop thinking about him and she kind of pines over his mugs or he should have had a special mug if he didn't. (laughs) Um, and, and this idea that, he didn't really leave anything behind that they don't have any tangible evidence in the office that he was one of their team. Um, and by extension, you know, he didn't really leave behind much at all in the world, you know, like, Mm. uh, other than they know who he was and what he did and the heroic things that he did. But, you know, his life was kind of, sadly short enough and kind of meager enough that he didn't really leave a whole lot behind. Yeah. Um, which sets us up for the title, you know, cause that's kind of turns out to be the big, uh, reveal, you know, pretty quickly into the episode. So, so I like Cordy's, um, you know, trying to convince Angel she's afraid he's going to like, become all broody and introverted and shut her off and you know no we have to stick together we have to be there for each other um you know i i'm not going anywhere oh and i have an audition i'll be back later like (laughs) yeah yeah but you know she means you know that she means she's not going anywhere like in the larger sense you know that they have to stick together figuratively even if she has an audition right um um but at her audition we find out uh, that he did leave something behind, that he left behind this gift of uh, his visions, which was interesting. That hadn't occurred to me. And now I can't really remember, like, when they kissed at the end of the last episode, was there some sort of, like, energy that went between them, like a kind of mystical, like, yeah. force-type thing? There, I thought there might have been, but then I couldn't really picture it. Um, there, yeah, no, it's if it, it's definitely there when you go back and watch it, right. like knowing. And I definitely that, didn't pick up on it um, at the time. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because it it's so obvious when you're like <laughs> watching it. Um, there's literally like this ball of light that like passes. Right, right. Between their mouths and like should have seemed obvious, but I just like I don't maybe I was just like caught up in the moment or something. I didn't And I actually I didn't want to say any like I didn't want to point it out, obviously, because you know, knowing what was coming. But I actually I thought I could have sworn that um that there was even maybe a flashback in this episode, but there isn't. So Mm -hmm. um that 
it seems like something they should have put in there, like just a little. Right. Um, although maybe it, um, maybe it's in like the before the previously on Angel, but right. I I don't see those because I watch them on DVD. So right. Uh, I oh no, I don't remember. It definitely had a recap, but I didn't notice whether that was part of it. Yeah. But now, so now my question becomes. Mm-hmm. Did he know that was going to happen? And and because the 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 repeated use of the gift, and I mean now, that can be a tricky word because we talk about gifts that people have that are sort of natural, like talents, talent. You yeah. know, yeah, like you have a gift for singing or you have a gift for whatever. So you can either just, if you believe in God, you could believe that that's a God given gift, or you could just believe that some people are good at things and there's no real rhyme or reason to that you know or it's in your genes or whatever Mm -hmm. um so i think there's the same kind of ambiguity about this that you know obviously the kiss is a culmination of these feelings he's been having for cordy so it doesn't seem in fact it's so in character that i didn't even notice the big green light that comes out of them like you know so clearly there's motivation for it beyond the passing on of the gift but they talk about it like it's deliberate. Like, you know, the title is Parting Gifts and uh, and she, like, resents him. Like, she talks all the time about, like, how, like, he gave it to her and she didn't want it. And she's annoyed at him and all these things. Right. Um, and. Uh, After just being so sad that he wasn't there anymore. Right, and yeah, like, like yeah. stupid idiot gave me this thing like infected her with this thing that she doesn't want. Yeah. Why can it be herpes? Right. (laughs) And then, and then Barney talks about it. Definitely. I mean, now Barney is a unreliable source, but he's also intuitive. Um, so he talks about it like it's like, it's a deliberate, um, thing that he left her like, like this is his will. And this was the only thing of value that he had. And, you know, he you know that he trusted her with it that mm. like that that she was someone that he valued and thought it was worth to pass along yeah you know now i take that with a grain of salt because of the source and also because who else could he have reason i mean he could have made out with angel you know or one of the like you know if if this is the only way to pass the gift cordy seems like kind of his only option or is the, the most sensible option anyway. Um, so is it so much that he's choosing her because she's the best one? Or is it, you know, because, of course, who else is he going to choose? But, um, yeah, but we don't know. Um, no, you know, we, I wonder, I mean, he didn't really ask for the gift either. So I think there's a scenario that says, okay, he just kissed her because this is his last chance to do that. And, the powers that be or whoever controls these things use that contact to move it, you know, to, to her instead so that the pipeline is still open. So, um, I don't know. So yeah, a couple of things, um, that I would say, uh, one is that he, like Doyle tells us that he was given the visions basically as a right everyone has to atone for something so that yeah. this is his 
atonement. Okay. So the question of whether it's a gift or not, mm. <laughs> or a punishment, <laughs> right? Or or both at the same time, even like is that's a valid question, and I'm not sure that we can say a hundred percent one way or another. Like, yeah, how we should and. And I think that that's actually not uncommon in stories about gifts or talents or, you know, things throughout it that, that, you know, there are oftentimes in fairy tales and legends and mythology, you know, sort of backhanded gifts, right? <laughs> you know, so to speak. So like, right. it's good because it helps people and it does allow or afford Doyle an opportunity for atonement. Um, but it's also painful and, yeah. you know, not necessarily the way that you would want to be given yeah. these visions. Yeah, a blessing um, and a curse. So so there's that aspect of it. Um, I would say that, yes, Doyle knew that, like, that it was a proactive thing that he was giving it to her. Like, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't like... They kissed. An accident. Yeah. Of, yeah. It wasn't yeah. like they kissed and the, it was the powers that be that actually gave her the gift right. through Doyle. He had some knowledge that, that that would happen. That is my interpretation for reasons that I don't want to go into right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So that, I, I, but I think, I think it's, you know, just for the sake of, of not dwelling too much. Cause I don't think that that's too important of a question. Um, yeah. I, I actually take... I guess the only... The, the difference it would make to me is, like, how much is Cordy chosen and by whom? You know? So, like, is it Doyle yeah. that chose her? Is it the powers that be? Or is it just a freak accident? I think that's the only thing it it raises that... Yeah. I don't... I mean, know. not freak accident, but certainly there's a sense that, you know, like, had Doyle had several days to ruminate on the decision would he have chosen Cordy perhaps not you know right but also on the other hand and also like we don't know is this the only way to pass the gift right. Cordy right. seems to think so but like maybe there are <laughs> other ways in right. which the right. gift could have right been there could passed. be a ritual of some sort. so yeah. you know the kissing the kissing itself may just have been like it's an intimate moment. Oh, and by the way, I'm yeah. going to give you this gift because I trust you and, you know, I'm going to my death. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there, so it's an accident insofar as he certainly had limited choices. It's the best option you know. and limited options. Um, yeah. And he had yeah. already punched Angel off of the platform. Right. So like he couldn't necessarily at that moment make out with Angel um, <laughs> because Angel would have stopped him. Right. If he knew what yeah. he was going to do. Like that's the whole yeah. reason why Angel wasn't there. So, right. Um, right. You know, I mean, well, and, and there is this, this, he's gonna, he kind of wants to kiss her anyway. So and he wants to kiss her anyway, you know, practical we'll, element. We'll never know if this is a face she could learn to love and all of right. that. So, so right. I, I would say that, that as far as what Barney says, I actually sort of take that at face value. Yeah. Um, I understand why you might be skeptical, skeptical though. So, you yeah. know, I mean. I, I do too because of his like empathic powers. Like clearly you can tell when he starts getting manipulative and, and, but 
but even then there's I think insight into Cordy. So right. I, I tend to trust even I don't trust him, but I trust what he says about, you know, like well if he's gonna sell you at auction, he's not very trustworthy, but it seems like he does have genuine ability to interpret what people are feeling and their motivations yeah. and their thoughts and, and everything. And his manipulation isn't to lie, it's to uh selectively focus on particular truths. Right. Right. So it's you know, right. when he does start manipulating her, he, he talks about her feeling guilty and this and that. And those are all actual feelings that she seems to have. So, like, yeah. I don't think that's wrong. Um, so, but anyway, going back, like, I think even even if, like, we don't trust his motives, like, I think mm-hmm. the thing that he is saying is right regardless. and and yeah. Or at least that to the point where like Cordy is can look at it in the way that he gives her, you know, to say that because, you know, Doyle really didn't have, and, and, and maybe Barney's just shooting from the hip here, but you know, Doyle really didn't have a lot of possessions. We already know that Cordy's already told us this, right? There's not a lot around to remind her of Doyle. Um, This gift or power or whatever was important to him and he did trust Cordy. So uh, for all of those reasons, like those are yeah. all those are all true. And so I think it's worth like even if it's just like like I think it's one of those things where you just sort of like I'm deciding to look at it this way. Yeah. You know, even though there may be potentially other valid ways to look at it. Like this is the way I choose to look at it that Doyle wanted me to have this because he trusted me and that it's actually more important than you know, a coffee mug because it's something that is important and because it's something that was unique to him. So, yeah. And even, even if the case is that he didn't intentionally pass it, he still passed it. It's still a thing which he left behind and which he can kind of use to remember him. So, you know, even the intention of it doesn't even necessarily make a difference really. um, Um, And I like that she frames her like crappy, drawing yeah and like as like a memento to the fact that his gift is still around he's still helping them in a way right um and he did make a difference and leave something of himself behind Mm -hmm. so so yeah i think i think that's all good um i like to uh we're going to get into this a little bit more with Wesley too, but on this theme of atonement, um, Cordy uh, continues to insist that she has nothing to atone for. You know, we've kind of heard that before. I'm thinking of the, is it, she's done it a couple times, but I think in the one where she has the apartment, Mm. um, like the room with a view that, you know, a similar kind of situation of that ghost kind of berating her with all of her failings and weaknesses and her finally coming to this decision that, you know what, I don't have anything to feel bad about or sorry for and, like, you know, comes out with this, like, renewed confidence in everything. Yeah. And I think that's true. Like, I don't I don't think, like, she's lying to herself necessarily. But, like, again, you get the sense that, okay, now she's the one, like you said, with this thing which could be a gift, but also could be a curse and could be something of a burden to bear. And, um, 
and something which Doyle at least thought of as some sort of penance, you know, for his, mm-hmm. to atone for his failings. Um, and she's immediately like, I don't have anything to atone for. Why do I have to have this thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I like, you know, I'm curious to see where that goes, like whether she continues to feel that way or not, you know, and, and neither one is wrong or right necessarily, but um, it's kind of interesting when you have someone like Doyle and then you have Angel and now you have Wesley who all very clearly kind of have the weight of their failings, you know, written all over them and are very conscious of the ways that they have like screwed up and everything. Um, Cordy doesn't feel that way. And she kind of resents that the implication that she has anything to apologize for or that she owes anybody anything. Yeah. Um, you know, so it kind of, that'll be interesting going forward. Cause I assume she's going to have this for, presumably for the rest of the show, as far as I know. So, um, you know, to now be getting these frequent, painful, head-splitting headaches, you know, for something that she doesn't feel like she has any responsibility for. Um, it's kind of an interesting possibility, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, she has it, and we'll see if and for how long she keeps it. Um it made sense to me i mean when angel brought it up and he was like well now we don't have anyone who can do this um and now i'm forgetting if if we find out first about the vision or if wesley turns up first um i forget the order in which those happen um because you could kind of see the vision the vision comes first okay because you could kind of see like there's a way in which wesley kind of fulfills a certain aspect of the Doyle role, but I wouldn't have expected, I would have expected more of that. Um, like I would have expected Wesley to come in with knowledge of the powers that be, or some sort of communication mm. with them. And I kind of like that they gave Cordy something because yep. she's more like Xander, you know, she's mm. the one without a special power, you know, or ability or that sets her or, apart. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it kind of evens the playing field a little bit to have her with some sort of thing that nobody else has. Um, and sure. it gives her a little bit more of like a power in the, in the relationship, you know? Yeah. No, um, cause I, cause we know cause doofus as he is, we know that Wesley is going to contribute with like his, uh, watcher book knowledge, you know, like, so it kind of I like that Cordy has something that she can contribute that the others don't necessarily like. I I like that kind of trio aspect. Yeah, no, I I agree. So there's there's a for as much as I mean we like Doyle and maybe wouldn't want to see him die and understand yeah. sort of the extra reasons why, you know, the actor couldn't stay with the show and all of that. Um, I do sort of agree that like it's a better balance mm. in the characters this way than than between Doyle and Cordy and Angel. Yeah. Um because yeah, like like you're right, like Cordy was just kind of just there, you know, yeah. not really 
doing much on her own. Now she does have the vision. And, and I mean, not to say that Cordy was useless or anything. She certainly wasn't. Um, but, but yeah, now like she has this tie. And so she has this important thing, you know, Angel's still going to be the one to go out and get things done and maybe we'll help from Wesley there too. But yeah, Wesley is going to be more the research guy and whatever. So like, I mean, you see that shaping up and I, you know, obviously I was hesitant to say anything about Cordy's visions. I will say, um, Wesley is here for the long haul. Like this isn't mm-hmm. like, I think we see that by the end when he stays yeah. with them. Like, yeah, I don't think it's a huge leap to see that he is in a way, like you said, a replacement for Doyle, although yeah. fulfilling different functions yeah. to some degree. Yeah. Um, but maybe before we talk too much about Wesley, any other thoughts with Cordy and stuff? Anything about like sort of the plot devices with Barney and the Kungai and the auction and stuff? Um, I don't like as opposed to our Doctor Who discussion. I don't see it yeah. being a huge aspect, um, you know, to yeah. what's going on. It's more character stuff here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's why they have Barney as this empathic demon so that we can explore Cordy's, you know, psyche a little bit um Mm -hmm. so and i do think he does have a lot of insight into her and and you know i'm gonna eat my own words because as much as she's saying i don't have anything to atone for we get a pretty clear explication of things that she is feeling guilty about you know that Mm -hmm. um she has this uh what does he say Uh, he barney says i know you let him die and she says that's not true he says, but it feels true, doesn't it? Mixed in with all the pain and the grief, a healthy dollop of guilt, a nagging thought that maybe you could have saved him if only you'd been nicer to him, if only you'd let your walls down, if only for one freaking second you, you gave a damn about somebody besides yourself. So maybe maybe she doth protest too much a little bit. You know, that there she is very confident, and most of the time I think she's not the most introspective or the one who you know really worries too much about what people think of her and that's why we like her but she's not immune to mm-hmm. feeling responsible you know or to caring about other people yeah um like clearly we see she you know cares a lot more than she lets on i think um so you know i kind of like that they use the the device of the you know the empathic demon to kind of like get a little bit because she can't admit that out loud yeah but 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 he'll admit it for her so we can hear it (laughs) right right and i think i think that's interesting too because of how just even from the beginning of of buffy you know we've been sort of programmed to see cordy in a way that she thinks it she says it she feels it she you know lets you know right and and i think I, you know, I don't know if we want to call this growth or what, but <laughs> I think, I think it does show that we're meant to, to start if we haven't already seeing Cordy as having more complex and deeper emotions than simply the things that she says. Yeah. Um, you know, so here we are halfway through the season, almost halfway and, you know, we're, we're getting some of these you know, this idea that she is harboring guilt that she doesn't readily talk about and, you know, feelings that, 
maybe there's more that she could have done, or maybe she isn't always, you know, as good of a person as she thinks or says that she is and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So like, even if that's not true, that at least is the way she feels at times. So, yeah. And, and it's hard, like, you know, the word atonement has sort of certain connotations. Like, even if that's not something to atone for, I, it, I, again, I would go back to that idea of that there's more complexity to the ways that she's thinking and feeling than maybe, you know, we've been used to thinking of her mm-hmm. uh, in those ways. And, and again, whether you call that growth or not, I think it's at least good for a character development in, into someone who's a little more interesting and a little more, um, you know, someone, someone that we want to spend our time getting to know a little bit better about why these things may bother her or whatever. Um, yeah. So, um, I also just like that. She drives up the auction to save, you know, to kind of stall, um, you know, she is pretty quick and smart, you know, and kind of knows, like, I like that kind of practical side of her. She's not afraid to, like, get them all riled up so that they'll start bidding higher, you know, because she knows she's just trying to, like, stall for time. Um, yeah. And that you, was pretty funny. And you can imagine that maybe, like, she's attended, you know, a high-priced auction or right. two in yeah. her time. Yeah, like, you know, that, that, she, that she knows how these things work, and if she can goad them sort of into you know getting more competitive with each other and yeah. and thinking of her as you know really upselling the merchandise so to speak <laughs> you right, know right. um even though it's literally herself uh yeah. that yeah yeah that, and she's and she's kind of offended at the low bids to begin with like right. excuse me like these these eyes have perfect vision even without the the powers that be you know right they're worth more than that on their own so she's yeah. funny um, and Barney's like, oh, hold on, let her talk for a minute. Like, yeah, yeah you know, because he's, he's getting a cut of all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or all of it. I mean, it's not like Cordy's getting any of it. Um, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, that's, that's definitely fine. Yeah, I mean, Cordy's not the fighter. Like, I mean, we've seen that before, even though, you know, she has staked one vampire, I think, so far that we've seen. Right. Uh, you know, she's definitely not the fighter, but, but it is good to see like that. She's, you know, she has intelligence and she does, I mean, she does try to fight. Like, I mean, she, you know, she, she outwits Barney for a minute and, you know, knees him in the groin and tries to escape. Um, she's not successful at it, but it happens. Uh, so, you know, I mean, not to say that she's powerless either, but you know, she's also, she's not, She's not exactly damsel in distress. You know what I mean? Like she's not just waiting. Oh, Angel, come and save me. She does want Angel to come save her, but she's also doing as much as she can. Yeah. She has like normal person fighting abilities. Yeah. But like, well, knows how to, yeah, like do what she can to help herself. Yeah. Um, and does it smartly and, you know, um, yeah, no, Good. I was proud of her when she started. I was like, oh, I see what you're doing, Cordy. Good job. <laughs> um, um, so we should talk about Wesley maybe then. We should talk about Wesley. Um, I've been waiting for Wesley to turn up this whole time. I didn't know that I had to trade Doyle for him. No, but, I know. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that's, I know I was. I wouldn't have been wishing so hard. I didn't mean it that way, Doyle. 
I was um, super secretive. Um, I yeah. know I sort of hinted once or twice. I, I mean, I know yeah. you that you knew already that Wesley comes into the picture at some point, but right, I, right, knowing you know at which point and what happens, you know, to make room for Wesley, uh, of course, is a difficult thing to yeah to to not say. But um, yes, um, great, great use of him. Um, the, (laughs) the reveal in that he's this mysterious, you know, uh, rogue, tough, relentless demon hunter. Leather, Um, leather clad, motorcycle. You know, yeah, motorcycled and with the crossbow. And and even he's even got, like, the five o'clock shadow, like, tough guy, like, stubble and everything. Um, You know, and you wonder for a brief minute, is this a new Wesley? You know, he comes out of the shadows. Before, like, so, and you're thinking that he's the one pursuing... Right, uh, right. Barney, so you're getting right. all of Barney's description of like, you know, he's left a trail of bodies from Phoenix to LA. And so when right. you see us Wesley, you're like, whoa, badass. Like I know. And he, and he, and you do wonder for a minute, like, what has happened to Wesley since we've seen him? Like he's completely changed. And then that great moment of the like casual deflection of the crossbow that Angel basically just like smacks it out of his yeah. hand and he completely just gives up. Yeah. Like there's no fight in him at he's, all. Like he's, he's built up this whole facade that and crumbles. Paper thin. Like at, he doesn't even swerve out of the way. He doesn't even yeah. try to pick it up. No. He just lets him. He's like, oh, you had then, a question. Oh, you had a question. And <laughs> you realize, no, no, it's the same old Wesley. He hasn't changed one bit. He just put on some leather and like got on a motorcycle right um oh my well just and just from an acting perspective oh alexis denisoff is brilliant hilarious and like you know going over to the bed and trying to put like the one leg up and yeah and just the 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 comedy just gets more and more ridiculous like yeah like falling off the bed and like you know he kind of can't walk right in his leather and they chafe and everything and yeah later on when he like He's taping the knife to his ankle, and you're like, you know this is the stupidest idea that's never going to work. And sure enough, you know, he yeah. can't get yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I like to, I like, on the first watch, I just enjoyed, like, the idea that, like, oh, he's trying to look tough in this leather. But on the second watch, I noticed that they definitely emphasize, there's, like, one shot where he and Angel are standing next to each other. And, like, they're both, like, full body shots, so you can see, like, both of them, like, mirrored. And Angel kind of looks at him with this face, like, what you wear in there? Yeah, and, um, yeah. and you kind of realize, like, all right, consciously or not, he's mimicking Angel. You know, like, there's a bit of him which thinks, if I'm going to be a rogue demon hunter, this is right. how I should look. And right. this is how cool guys, you know, kind of dress when they go out to hunt demons and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's built up this whole facade like you said this whole yeah. fantasy of what Persona. he wants to be like um hilarious yeah uh and we i mean we don't know how long he's been out but i will say in wesley's defense <laughs> the last time that we saw wesley was was the 
season three finale of Buffy. He was like injured, he, wasn't he? he? He was like going. He runs into the fray at the graduation day, right? He right. runs into the fray and immediately falls down and starts whining for help. And help. gets like trampled. Well, can someone? And, yeah. yeah. And and right. And so Giles goes over and he's like, "I'll let me check on Wesley. You know, I'll I'll yeah. go." Um, yeah. So and they're like putting him on a gurney to like right. go take care of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he has at least become a little bit better at fighting and not quite. Like, I mean, he's still incompetent with, like, the knife and stuff, but, like, he actually manages to, like, dive for the crossbow and get a shot off, you know what I mean? And he he actually manages to help free Cordy and fight off, uh, you know, the Barney and and that kind of thing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's more willing to. Like, you know, we had him, like... Or if not fight off, he holds off Barney until... Cordy can stab him in the right. back, but right. you know what I mean? Right. But like, yeah. Like, well, and I think, I think the willingness is the thing. Like before we would have him like shaken in his boots, like when he and Giles got captured and everything of like, yeah. Wanting to tell them everything. Cause he just was like, I just give up and I don't even really want to go there. You know, he never really wanted, like you said, like in the fight, he runs into the fray, but he kind of pretty much like gets himself out for the count and then just wants to leave. Like, mm-hmm. Even though he's probably not that injured in the first place. Um, yeah. Whereas here, it's like, yeah, the fighting's not necessarily that great. But at least he's not, he's willing to try. And he's not just, like, complaining or, like, looking for someone to bail him out all the time. Yeah. Uh, right. So, like, he, and and he's been on his own for at least some amount of time. That Right. So he hasn't gotten killed yet. Right. <laughs> We don't know how many demons he's killed. This may be yeah. his first attempt, for all right. we know. But <laughs> right. he at least has not gotten himself killed, and does seem to have at least a little more experience than yeah. than when you know he yeah. was before. Um, so, like with the facades, there's actually a couple that sort of fall right. So it's that yeah. first, you know, the motorcycle rogue demon hunter, you know, mm-hmm. in front of Angel. But then even even after that, he still, he, you know, he sort of maintains like, you know, well, I left the council and, you know, this and right. that. But then it's not until later that after Cordy's been taken and he realizes and, and he sort of breaks down and he's just like, you know, I'm I'm a fraud. I'm whatever. And, and you know, going through his whole, I left, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't leave the council. They, they actually got rid of me. You know, I was fired and, and. I yeah, had, was... you know, I had two slayers in my care. One turned evil and now vegetates in a coma. The other's a renegade. Fire me. I'm surprised they didn't cut off my head. I'm useless. Yeah. A fool. Sniveling. A ugly gray blobby thing. Yes, I'm an <laughs> ugly gray blobby. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, you know, he's so, like, he goes from this super cool, yeah. at least in his eyes, you know, rogue yeah. demon hunter guy to, you know, completely just undermining everything that he is and, and, you know, sort of taking on the world. Like, even in this, like, he's more pompous than he, you know, should be. Like, he's not just, he's not just a fraud. He's the worst fraud that ever existed. Right, You know, he's the worst thing. I'm surprised they didn't cut off my head. I'm so useless. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, come on, dude. (laughs) 
He's a he's a bit of a drama queen. A little bit. He's a little bit. Uh, um, no matter what he is, he uh, is the most or the center of attention in his mind. Yeah. Um, which is kind of ironic, uh, or not ironic, but fitting when he first sees Angel and and is like, you know. Uh, I bet you never thought you'd see me again. And Angel's like, uh, it hadn't occurred to me. Like, yeah, like, I, I've never I even thought, thought about of you, you once. <laughs> um, so even there, like, he wants to have this, like, you know, super, you know, kind of antagonistic, like, rivalry of, like, mm-hmm. oh, your old, your old nemesis or your old competition or whatever. And it's like, Angel doesn't even, like, he doesn't even register on his radar. Um yeah. You know, and, and I could see that. I mean, I enjoyed Wesley in the season of Buffy, but I if I didn't know he was going to be in the show, I don't know that I would have been sitting around waiting for him to turn up. Yeah. You know, I could see totally watching the show and being like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Wesley, I forgot about you, you know. Um, so it kind of fits. But, like, yeah. that is that kind of pomposity that he has, that he imagines that people are, like, thinking all these things about him, whether they're good or bad. And mm-hmm. nobody thinks much of anything, really. Right. Um, right. And then, and so you get why he belongs in the show is his things to atone for, that he was kind of a lame watcher. You know, he, you know. He kind of? <laughs> kind of didn't do a great job. You know, yeah. he pretty much screwed it up on a number of levels. Um, and is aware of that um yeah so you know he kind of fits in with the crowd i think yeah yeah um and i do want to just go back to that passage that i read and just point out that of course he's referring to faith when he says uh, yeah. you know one turned evil and now vegetates in a coma because yeah we haven't we, really had any references we've to her. not had any references to yeah. her and and granted this is angel not buffy sure. but but there's I just want to make sure we don't completely forget about forget her. Forget about her, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. because we may not, well, we may see her again at some point, you know. Sure. Anyway. Um, but yes. this no, is... Yes, no, I did, I, did, I did catch that reference. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's just like a reminder of, oh, yes, there are there is this other Slayer yeah. that's kind of out there. Um, but anyway... Uh, so yeah, so I mean we get we get sort of the emphasis of what Wesley will be doing, right? He's yes, he comes in in sort of the uh rogue demon hunter getup, but it's when he puts the suit on. <laughs> what's right? a rogue demon? Yeah, what's a rogue demon? <laughs> uh you know, he puts the suit on and he yeah, you know helps and I translate. Like the way that, I like the way they use that to signify that this is the Wesley that, you know, that, that, not that all the pretense, not, Wesley's pretentious. So, you know, pretension is always going to be part of his character, but, um, something of kind of going back to the Wesley that we know and love, you know, like that, that there's no longer a pretense that he is angel. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to work. Um, you know, so you know, I like the way that the, he gets the suit on and you're like, ah, okay, here here he is, the Wesley that we and know. he seems, actually, like, he doesn't seem like 
uh, you know, that he's putting on confidence, but he actually seems more confident. And, yeah. you know, yeah, is this able... this is him. This is him in his own skin. Yeah. Right. He's able to translate, you know, this stuff. And, and you know, he's sort of chagrined that he wasn't there to protect and save Courtney, but actually, you know, he was doing the thing that he should have been doing. So, yeah. you know, it's not like Angel has to sort of talk that into him, you know, like, oh, you know, you you know, I wasn't here either. And Hey, by the way, this is me looking for clues. Like, you know, you need to get uh, out of your, sorry, you know, Charlie spot. And yeah, I don't even know what that means. Charlie, sorry, (laughs) but like, you know, you need to stop, you know, worrying about this stuff. And actually you're the only one who can translate this. So let's get on with it because I do need your help. Like legit need your help. And you should be, helping me um but also there there is that great moment i think that at the end you know angel as silly and ridiculous and uh not altogether accurate as it is Mm -hmm. angel sort of acknowledges the rogue he says you know i couldn't have done it you know by myself i had a rogue demon hunter by my side kind of thing you know like like that and you can see Wesley kind of get, you know, the little pick me up, like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, he, yeah. he, Angel thinks I'm a rogue demon hunter now, you know, like, <laughs> which, like, maybe yeah. isn't good. Like, it may just make him more insufferable. But on the other hand, is a nice gesture from yeah. Angel yeah. to, you know, sort of show that <sighs> there is something worth the effort, even if it's a poor effort, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, or a poorly executed effort uh, yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, and he does, you know, contribute. He know, does that that his his uh, knowledge of the of the demon language, you know, helps them figure it out. So he, you know, I'm sure he has more room for growth. But yeah. um, you know, he might not be up to Giles' levels of knowledge. But that's not to say that he can't chip in and. Um, and like we were talking about with Cordy, it is a nice balance to have kind of Angel as like the leader and the kind of brawn, you know, mm-hmm. and the street smarts and everything. Cordy with her sort of, you know, visions to kind of guide them in the right direction. And then Wesley to pick up the slack in terms of, you know, the more of the the, the lore and the knowledge and the research and everything um, makes for kind of a balanced team. Yeah. And so... With that in mind, do you see the forming of a soul triptych? A soul triptych. Mm. Mm. It, it, and maybe it's that. maybe it's not something we can answer right now. But I, I'm just curious it. because it's yeah. you know it's it's something we that have you, a trio. Yeah, it's something that you proposed with Buffy very early on, and so like I I can I think I can say to this point you know, between Angel Doyle and Cordy that it hasn't felt that way. Right. So does this sort of reshuffling of powers and, right. you know, roles and that sort of thing make it more of a soul triptychy type of thing? And maybe... maybe... I, do- I agree that it feels different and it feels closer to that, to the kind of balanced trio that we have, like with Buffy and Willow and Xander. I don't know yet that I feel confident enough to say which is which, though. Um, 
Sure. And that's fair. It might just be something worth looking at as we yeah. see more no, episodes. No, definitely. But, definitely. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, we are, I already mentioned that Wesley's there for the long haul, but I love that yeah. last scene where uh, he's... Yeah, it's like hinting not so subtly for them to for them to invite him to stay he's just hemming and hawing and waiting yeah. for the invitation and there i mean i have to believe that at least angel sort of knows what's going on Maybe, i think they know i think they know yeah yeah and but they're even both cordy's even cordy's is a little bit suspicious the way she goes oh, oh good good luck stay in touch yeah, you yeah. know it's just a little too casual to right right um, yeah. Yeah. No. They they do sort of seem to know what he's doing, and then finally yeah. invite him over, and yeah. and they're all having breakfast together. He's very and, pleased. And and again with the costume, I noticed that they have him in his kind of suit and khaki, but with the leather jacket on top when he's leaving. So it's I like this suggestion that there's a little bit of both in there. Like it's the yeah. same old Wesley, but there's a little bit of something, a little new and maybe a little bit edgier you know yeah. uh, and not quite as hopefully not quite as rule bound and by the book and stodgy as he was before but something a little bit more free um, he, he certainly seems to be so i mean he he literally isn't rule bound anymore because he's right. no longer with the he's council not so, accountable to anybody and, yeah and i think that that like for Wesley, that's the frightening. Probably thing. a good thing. Well, well, is it frightening or is it good? <laughs> well, I think good. I think good in the long run, but for him, frightening. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like frightening from his point of view because he's used to having those rules and he's used yeah. to having uh, following them, and you know, which is why he wants others to follow them too, is because he's always done it and and is is maybe. You know, now he, he, you know, it's the classic, he's, he's finding himself now, right? He's, he's not really sure where to go. And so, so maybe there is a little bit of that conflict. Does he want to be, you know, the rogue, whatever, or is there a, you know, more of a place for the studious side that doesn't quite follow the rules in the same way, but maybe does have a little more structure to it. Um, you know, so, uh, there's definitely, I think, a switch. And also, I think, yeah, I mean, the leather jacket, you know, is, is I mean, you go can go back to, you know, Rebel Without a Cause and, you know, all of these sort of classic, yeah. you know, movie sort of images, too, with that. So it's always sort of reminiscent of someone who's a little, got a little bad streak, a little, you right. know, whatever. Right. And there is a sense in which Wesley has definitely fallen from grace at this point. Um, yeah. And and we saw that fall, and you know, like you said, maybe there is a little something to atone for at this point now for him mm-hmm. too. So we'll see, we'll see where that goes. But I think I think there is that sort of imagery there that yes, he has the background of the academic and the rule man, but mm-hmm. but now, you know, does he put that away? Does he? try to embrace it in a different way what happens yeah we'll we'll see yeah um i would be remiss if i also didn't mention uh the specific kiss between cordy and wesley and the callback to their original Um, that's that's great that's great like 
it, it kind of, I caught on like just before it happened, like, cause she's going around kissing everybody. And then Wesley walks in and it was like, as soon as she stood up, I was like, oh no, here we go. Like, yeah. of course. Um, and, and it wasn't as bad as last time. No. You know? So that makes me wonder, ooh. And they both kind of seemed a little surprised, you know? Um, yeah. Pleasantly surprised. So maybe that's a possible, maybe they won't be so uh, shy of each other in the future, but it was nice to have that. And then like, she kind of doesn't realize at first, like what, right like, i think she kind of didn't realize it was him right um, that's the impression yeah yeah and but he knows and i like his like well i thought it went considerably better than last time yeah yep. um so he certainly remembers and you know probably has been wishing he'd had a second try um yeah so yeah anyway. well and and even like after that and after after she realizes it's wesley you know, and he's talking about his being a rogue demon hunter, and she's like, "Wow, you know, like, yeah. like there is a sort of little puppy dog ish back to like, that, like, yeah, yeah, the, just the idea of oh, you're, you know, oh, you're on your own now, and you know, right. there is something, right? So, she's always been kind of impressed by him. So there is a little bit, yeah, and then you get the question, "What's a, What's rogue, a rogue demon?" demon? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I I mentioned to you, and I'll I'll say this publicly, I guess. I may have used the name Rogue Demon Hunter in online games nice. at various points in my nice. online gaming. I'm not much of an online gamer, but <laughs> I will acknowledge that I've I've used that. And then the you past. said that there was always a you could always yeah. see angel fans because they would come every back. now and then right you would run into someone and and they would ask that question what's a rogue demon and then you would just yeah. know that they were yeah, yeah they were angel fan or whatever yeah. so um a nice way to sort of meet new people in game and and you know whatever but yeah. uh, kind of funny um before we sign off yes definitely want to make mention too of the Wolfram and Hart appearance because yes. we haven't had them in at least a few episodes. I don't remember exactly when the last time we saw them was. Um, so, there. so they're, they're around and mm -hmm. they're, you know, I mean, we already know that they sort of participated in nefarious things. Um, one of those apparently being underground auctions for various uh, magical pieces yeah. of creatures. Uh yeah. What they definitely wanted Cordy's eyes. Um, we don't know why. There, there was an authorization. So the presumption, I think, well, actually, well, I'll say, I think the presumption, the way I've always read it, is that yeah. it's a client that is for a client of some type. Mm. Um, but I don't. Mm. Maybe you had a different impression. I, I didn't. I thought it was more. Because, you know, my impression is that Wolfram and Hart themselves are kind of dangerous. Not that they, I'm sure they represent, I mean, we know they represent dangerous clients. But I don't know why that didn't occur to me. I was more, I mean, definitely what popped into my head is they want access to the powers that be. Yeah. Um, now, I suppose it could be the client that wants that. Um, that didn't really occur to me, but I don't have a real strong feeling one way or the other. It's, it's either they, the firm want that or they represent yeah. somebody who does. Um, 
Fair enough. But it seemed that was kind of more what I came away with was why are they, you know, that uh, that that's something that they want access to and don't have, I guess. Yep. Um, so. So one way or another. One way or another, they're they, out. Cordy should watch her back because they're out to get access they were to there. Yeah. the power that she has. Um, and very perturbed by the fact that and so our merchandise yeah. was just taken off the market. Three guesses yeah. by whom, you know, yeah. like, yeah. It, so they've, you know, we know that Angel has been a thorn in their side already in the past, but also. Right. And we know that they're aware of him now. Yeah, that they're, I mean, and they have been, you know, yeah. for a while, but like, also what, what other clients has he helped that maybe we don't even know about yet? Um, you know, this, that sort of gotten their way and so right. yeah there's there's some crossing of paths that's going yeah. on there um but definitely a a nice little another little reminder of something that's there that you know maybe will will take a more prominent role in coming episodes so okay anyway uh any any other things that you wanted to point out in this episode? I think we covered uh, most of it. I think we covered everything. Um, good to good to have the new team. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well then, we'll uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another episode of Buffy. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.